Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.com or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. We would like to hear from you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry, and here's Pastor Visser with our next Bible study. You know, there's a lot of things going on in the world out there today, and there's a lot of distractions, a million and one things that exist out there to draw you away from the purpose that is serving Yahweh God. According to wise King Solomon in his book of Ecclesiastes, he says, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The whole duty of man, the reason Yahweh God created Adam man in the very beginning, was so he would fear, quote-unquote, reverence him and keep his commandments. At least the understanding within his mind to know that Yahweh God knows what is best for each and every one of us. Why? Because he created us. And the reason that Yahweh God created the devil is so he could, quote-unquote, try and or tempt us. Right about now is when the easy believers to come along and say, well, Yahweh God doesn't tempt anybody. It says right here in James, neither is he tempted of evil. But what I'm talking about is iron sharpens iron, and that's the way it is. There's a reason a Flintstone exists. The reason the devil exists is to try and or tempt you, and the reason or the time of his temptation is usually when the imparting of the Holy Spirit commences. Of course, you've heard me preach on this before, dear kinsfolk. The imparting of the Holy Spirit, at least according to the book of Acts, is during baptism. Now, there's much dissension and much argument over what baptism is, whether it's of fire, whether it's of pixie dust, or whether it's of water. But that being established and being set aside, according to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, beginning in the very first verse, Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan River, being urged by the Spirit, out into the barren wastelands of Judea, where Satan tempted him for 40 days. He ate nothing at all that time and was very hungry. And so establishing it, coming out of the gate, Luke is explaining to you that... Jesus Christ, after his baptism in the river Jordan, which means water, which is what the word baptism means, baptizo, to make fully whelmed and or wet, and the imparting Holy Spirit, how can I say that, quote-unquote, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan River, went into the wilderness, quote-unquote, again, to be tempted of Satan. As you notice in all texts, Satan is personified, capitalized, meaning he is a literal deity. I, yours truly, Pastor Visser, have written a book, Satani L, Fallen Morning Star, available at covenantpeoplesministry.org, freely accessible in PDF format, available on Amazon and so many other places, viewable on your Kindle Fire and or handheld device. But in that, I've established the literal actuality of Sataniel, according to the Book of Enoch and so forth. But continuing on, what does Satan say to the weakened Jesus Christ who hadn't eaten? Verse 3, Satan said, If you are God's son, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus replied, It is written in the scriptures, Other things in life are much more important than this bread. Now, of course, we know bread is symbolic of the Word of God, and that is the reason why Paul and many other latter apostles say that the famine in the end times is not for literal bread, but for the Word of God. The Word of God is not being taught throughout America and Europe as it should be, because it has been Judaized, melted away, and polluted into feel-goodism and or churchianity. But notice that Satan comes to Jesus Christ when he, in the flesh, was at a weakened state. He hadn't eaten. And he appeals through the flesh by saying, make these stones bread. Stones throughout the Old Testament are also symbolic of people. We can think of Jacob's stone and the stones that went along through the Exodus with the children of Israel marking their way. But 
Jesus Christ replies, It is written, take note, dear friends, it is written, Jesus Christ to the devil does not answer him out of context, but rather quotes what is clearly written in the word of God, which is what he did throughout his whole entire New Testament ministry. Many people think Jesus Christ brought a new way, but he did not. He confirmed and told the Pharisees, you did err in not knowing the scriptures. Because they would come along and say the Bible says this when it didn't say that at all. My, how things do not change. But continuing on, verse 5 in Luke chapter 4. Then Satan took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil told him, I will give you all these splendid kingdoms in their glory, for they are mine to give anyone I wish. If you will only get down on your knees and worship me. Now, stopping right there, we should notice that this devil, this personified Satan, this literal arch enemy of Yahweh God, confirms what is written in the very first chapter of the book of Job. That was that day when the sons of God got together and assembled, and Satan came also among them. When Yahweh God asked Satan, where have you come from? He says, from going up and down upon the world and walking to and fro upon it. Why? Because he was cast down upon it. And Jesus Christ confirms that Satan is the prince of this world. Here, Satan offers Jesus Christ all the kingdoms of the world, not only all the kingdoms of the world, all the powers of the world that were his to give, at least in a physical sense, not spiritual. He also says, if you will get down on your knees and reverence me. Now Paul confirms, as many of the other Old Testament prophets confirm, that we can either be a slave to sin or we can be a slave to Yahweh God, but one way or another we will serve God or mammon. We are not our own people. We are not individual, free, illuminated thinkers, even though many of us want to think we are. But the irony behind it all is it is a illuminated thought of man to think as such. And if Jesus Christ wanted to appeal to his flesh in this weakened state, wanted to turn stones into bread, or wanted all the kingdoms of the world, whether the devil was lying or not, he knew the word of God, and he knew it was written that the earth and the fullness thereof belonged to Yahweh God, and thus the devil truly couldn't give him anything. This was confirmed when he tells Pilate and Herod, you have no power over me unless it was given to you of Yahweh God. So, it was Jesus Christ, another son of God, like Satan, or HaSatan, who recognized that Yahweh God was the Supreme Father, and thus was able to rebuke him once again with words that were already written. How can I say this? Continuing on, verse 8 in Luke chapter 4. Jesus replied, We must worship God and Him alone, so it is written in the Scriptures. Quote, unquote. Oh, indeed. Jesus Christ goes right back to the very first commandment. Goes back to John first one, chapter 1, if you will. In the beginning was the word, the Logos, and that word was with God. That word was God. And at the point of digressing, I will add right here, dear kinsfolk, that this word Logos and or word being translated is only translated from a Greek acrostic. So be weary of those who want to come along and profess to be experts in Bible languages and can't even understand that every single Hebrew and Greek letter do have a numerical value. God designed it that way, so the Hebrew is fixed. So man can't come along, change the word of God as it suits his fancy and say, you know what? It says this. Jesus replied, we must worship God and him alone. So it's written in the scriptures. The same exact thing he would tell the Pharisees. But what does the devil do? Verse 9. Then Satan took him to Jerusalem on a high roof of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say that God will send his angels to guard you and to keep you from crashing in the pavement below. Now this is what the devil says, and we should notice that just like in Genesis chapter 3, all the way back in the Proto-Evangelion, in the Garden of Eden, the devil came along and cast a doubt on the fallibility of the Word of God, or the infallibility. Coming along, twisting the Word of God from what it actually said. You could go back to the prophecy and see how the devil changed it. It shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. This isn't what was written at all, but it's what the devil comes along and says. It says it is written, he'll send his angels to guard you to keep him from crashing. Oh no, indeed, the devil didn't need angels to uh, take his claws off of Jesus Christ. This is confirmed as Jesus Christ hung from the cross on Golgotha. For it's confirmed in the Gospel narratives that as Jesus Christ hung from the cross saying, It is finished, Eli, Eli, lama shabbatane, 
the heavens opened up and angels descended. Jesus Christ didn't need angels. He even told Peter if he wanted, he could bring a legion of angels against the centurions. But it would not be the will of God. And the will of God is what's most important. And that's what we stressed in tonight's broadcast, dear kinsfolk. What is written is very, most oftentimes, diametrically opposed to what is taught or what is accepted universally as truth. Unfortunately, what is accepted as truth is this universal belief that Jesus Christ just loves everyone indiscriminately and is bound to do as such. But of course... If you were to ask the liberal, does Jesus Christ love this racist? Does Jesus Christ love this person? Or does Jesus Christ even love the devil? You get a dirge barrage of different answers. So, Satan took him to Jerusalem, to the high roof of the temple, that's Solomon's porch, above it to the very tip of the city, and says, if you're the Son of God, not a Son of God, the, singular, plural, begotten of God, if you truly are, the seed of God in flesh form, the devil says to Jesus Christ, and jump off, and you'll float away to eternal bliss, for lack of a better term, and to paraphrase. Verse 12, Jesus replied, the scriptures also say, do not put the Lord your God to a foolish test. And that is the point I want to focus in on, dear friends. The King James Version says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. That was his response to the devil. So not only does he confirm that he was God in the flesh form, Emmanuel, God with us, and fulfilling those prophecies of old, but also confirming that you respond to the devil if you must, and his ilk, according to Scripture. Meaning, we must confirm everything according to scripture. The slanderous man, the talebearer, the busybody, and other men's affairs does not care for these things, because what he cares for is to satisfy his own gut, his own belly, and his own ego. But, continuing on, do not put the Lord your God to a foolish test. Verse 13 in Luke chapter 4, when the devil had ended all the temptations, he left Jesus for a while and went away. Now, as it is confirmed in the book of Enoch and the rest of scripture, it is a way of the demon to go out from a vessel that is once made clean. But that demon will eventually return, and the demon will eventually want to get back in. This is why it was important that Obadiah brought up this evening the aspect of not engaging in slander and repeating lies, because if we are considered unclean by Yahweh, at least in his eyes, the Holy Spirit cannot indwell within us. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't indwell within us, well, Yahweh God will not hear our will. And Yahweh God will do nothing for us until we make ourselves clean again, which is the entire purpose of all the statutes of the law of God. Why he tells you, if you sin, how you must make yourself clean. We must not abuse the grace that Yahweh God imparted unto us in the form of his son making the sacrifice on his cross. But not to digress, when he ended his temptations, he left Jesus for a while and went away. That doesn't mean that Jesus Christ said, go away, because there would be a time for that. Much later, when the devil comes again in the form of Peter, at least in the form of his demonic possessions, he would eventually say, get thee behind me, Satan just preceding his crucifixion. And what that meant was the devil was bound behind Jesus Christ. So if we believe the words of Jesus Christ, we must believe that the devil is still behind Jesus Christ today, at least in a spiritual sense. And when you understand that concept, you should be able to understand why his children and the demons, quote-unquote, wander the earth to and fro and how demonic possession works. Now, of course, the illuminated man's going to come along and say, well, I'm a wise college professor. There's no such thing as uh, demonic possession. Oh, indeed, it's been ruled by science as mental illness, but I assure you, dear kinsfolk, many of the people sitting in the nuthouse are actually possessed by demons. And many people who cannot cast the demons out are those who are ill-equipped they don't even know the name of Yahweh God, at least his true name, and there is power within that name. At least the power to cast demons out, and at least the power within prayer, knowing of who your God is, who you're praying to, and so forth. That is what the Judeo-Christian does not have. For they pray to a nameless God, just a God above all gods. And even though the first commandment says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, the fool will come along and say, You know what? There's no other gods but the God of the Bible, who happens to remain nameless. We know his name. His name is Yahweh. And when his seed was placed within flesh, 
and he became Emmanuel, meaning God with us. That, my friends, was Yahshua. There was proof within the name, and that's the reason why the enemy wants to keep you from it. But, continuing on, verse 14 of Luke chapter 4. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, full of the Holy Spirit's power. Soon, he became well known throughout that region for his sermons in the synagogues. Everyone praised him. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on Saturday and stood up to read the scriptures. The book of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him, and he opened it to the place where it says. Now stopping right there. It should be pointed out that Isaiah, unlike Jeremiah, was a prophet to Israel. Meaning that everything Isaiah said, unlike Jeremiah, is more binding and more specific to the literal seed of Yahweh on earth today. That is the Israelites. That is the white Anglo-Saxon, Scandinavian, and Germanic kindred people. So it stands to reason that Jesus Christ, in his teens, going to the quote-unquote church of his time, is handed the book of Isaiah. Why? Well, the book of Isaiah prophesied of his coming. It would say, Behold, unto us a child is given, unto us a child is born, and his name shall be Wonderful, a mighty God, Counselor, and so many other promises. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the Gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship or receive monthly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visitor's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.com where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts you can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church so that when He returns, He will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply His words to your lives. It's been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. Isaiah, the prophet of Israel, prophesied of the coming of Jesus Christ, which is how you can know the wheat from the tare. Why? Because the wheat company know that Jesus Christ is king. The tare will come along and say there's another person, there's another God, there's something beyond Jesus Christ. Christ says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Christ says, no man cometh unto the Father except by, meaning through me. So here he stands in the synagogue, quote unquote. Here he is, handed the book of Isaiah. And what does he read from the book of Isaiah? Quote, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to announce to the captives shall be released and the blind shall see, that the downtrodden shall be freed from their oppressors, and that God is ready to give blessings to all who come to him. End quote. That, dear kinsfolk, literally is Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. But not to digress, he quotes and explains to you what he came for. And we must understand, this is directly after his temptation in the wilderness. Jesus Christ didn't find the devil tempting, did he? In fact, he was able to rebuke him soundly going back to the scriptures, as a true scripture lawyer would, setting straight the devil who is the perverter of scripture. And so directly after a many overcome if you will, because the ultimate overcoming of the devil and the ultimate fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 didn't come until the crucifixion of the cross. But he was able to go out and say, this is the reason why, in the synagogue, to the people in their ears, Yahweh God is upon me. Indeed he was. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and restoring the sight to the blind. Now, as Jesus Christ walked the face of the earth, he would preach, if you will, in parables. He would say, let him who has ears hear. Let him who has eyes see. Now, how could he say that? Well, he was God. He, in a physical and spiritual level, was able to give a man the ability to see light or remain in darkness. Now, the fool remains in darkness, and those who remain in darkness can't even read the word of God, can they? They can't be taught. They can't be reached. Many people love and would rather dwell in darkness, according to the book of Genesis. But not to digress, that was the reason he came, to open people's eyes, and his flock could see him. This is why he could preach in parables. This is why he could come along and say, My sheep hear my voice, and they will follow, time and time again. 
They won't follow the voice of a stranger. They can't be fooled by the voice of a quote-unquote mamzer because they know better. They know that Jesus Christ is the king, if you will, of all Christianity. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. It's not about denominations. It's not about Baptist Catholicism or Lutheranism or any of these isms that they want to label you with. It's about preaching the word of God, and that's what Jesus Christ came for, to preach the truth in season and out of season, to heal the brokenhearted, to announce the captives shall be free, the blind shall see, the downtrodden shall be freed. And God is ready to give blessings to all who come to him. We must understand that about Yahweh God. If it was Yahweh's will, he would have all come to repentance, but not all will. And that's a sad side effect of it. Why? Because many wanted to play church. Many wanted to find themselves among that goat company that were cast out by Jesus Christ in judgment, saying, depart from me, I never knew you, never heard your prayer. You, dear friends, do not want to find yourself within that company. But that was one of the purposes. God wants to bless you. And the only way that he can bless you is to be able to reach you. The way he can reach you is through his word, if you have eyes to see, if you have ears to hear. What does Jesus Christ do? Verse 20 of Luke chapter 4. He closed the book and handed it back to the attendant and sat down, while everyone in the synagogue gazed at him intently. Then he added, these scriptures came true today. Quote, unquote. That was the beauty of Jesus Christ. As he walked, many people doubted. Many people wanted to say he was the offense. He claimed to be God. He was blasphemer. But as he walked, if they were only familiar enough with the word of God, they would have seen how many prophecies he fulfilled. Even in birth, indeed it was, prophesied in the book of Isaiah that Jesus Christ just read, that he would be born. And he would be born in Nazarene. And he would be born in that town of Bethlehem. And so, dear Ken's folk, look forward to another quote-unquote Christmas sermon coming forth from yours truly. It's been four years since unto us a child was born, and that was my first 80-minute pro-Christmas discourse. must be pointed out that Bertrand Compare and Wesley Swift all taught that Christmas was a white Anglo-Saxon holiday. So, yes, indeed, Christmas is for dual seed line Christian identity, always has been. It's wise to know the pagan elements behind it. It's good to be wise as serpents, understanding all the history behind Saturnella, and I've preached it. But we don't have to walk around like a Jew being a General Scrooge saying, bah humbug, do we? These scriptures were fulfilled in your ears. Can you understand it? Can you see it? Anything Jesus Christ says is truth. Anything within his word, if you understand he is the Logos, is truth and should be what we base our life upon. Continuing on, verse 22 in Luke chapter 4. All who were there, spoke well of him, were amazed by the beautiful words that fell from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? So stopping right there, understand, that's the way of the natural man. The natural man cannot understand the spirit. Each and every one of us, dear kinsfolk, my Adamite brothers, our father is Yahweh God. We may have an earthly dad, but our father is Yahweh God. We understand that. He's the soul giver. He is by whom all life and death is established. This is the reason why the first thing the non-believer or the natural man says is, isn't this Joseph's son? Why he's instilled with the Holy Spirit within himself. He was Joseph's stepson, indeed, and that's a whole other study in and of itself. But the way of natural man is to say, hey, we know your sins. We know you're from Nazareth. We know everything about you. Why? Because we grew up around you and so forth. doesn't make anything you say any less true, is it? If it is true. And that's the point. As long as you keep it within the Word of God and the parameters of these 66 books, you'll do all right in this life, dear friends. You'll do okay theologically. So even though the naysayer will come along and say, isn't this Joseph's son? How can this be? How can he be such a good preacher? How can these quote-unquote beautiful words fall from his lips? Verse 23. Then he said, Jesus speaking, probably you will quote me that proverb, physician heal yourself, meaning why don't you do miracles here in your hometown like you did in Capernaum? But I solemnly declare unto you that no prophet is accepted in his own home." town. Stopping right there, that's my point. No true prophet will be accepted in his own hometown, and a brother is born for adversity, meaning that there will be dissensions within Christian families. That's just an unfortunate side effect. We are not better than Yahweh God who has dissensions within his. He has fallen sons and daughters as well, Satan being a prime example of that. Abraham had fallen sons and daughters, and many of the older tribes being perfect examples. So there is no perfection within the word of man and within the flesh. 
But this is the reason why Jesus Christ could say no prophet is accepted within his own hometown. The reason people want to go and engage in slander oh so much is because they want to get dirt upon somebody. And in getting that dirt, they feel empowered, like a feminist, like a homosexual, whatever it is. They feel they have a little nugget of truth or untruth in that regard to come along and set up their straw man. And in doing that, well, then they seemingly think in their pea brain that they can disannul every single other truth that person says. Oh, Pastor so-and-so got arrested. Yeah, well, so did the Apostle Paul. Did that make the Apostle Paul's preaching any less valid? Oh, no, indeed. But am I preaching lawlessness, dissension? No. Those are trademarks and traits of the snake, dear friends, and we must not make that mistake. What Jesus Christ is saying is when people think they know you, know you enough to come along and speak for you, that's the one you need to be worried about. Why? Because a prophet has no respect in his own hometown. Christ continues, for example, remember how Elijah the prophet used a miracle to help the widow of Zephyrath? a foreigner from the land of Zidion. There were many Jew widows needing help in those days of famine, or Judean widows, better rendered. There were many, and we know the narrative. It's all the way back in the book of Kings. For there had been no rain for three and one-half years. Oh, interesting. Three and one-half years. Not in Fulton State Hospital, but in the wilderness. Praying to Yahweh God and having enough power and enough faith, Elijah I'm speaking about, to actually turn about the weather, do you believe it? To actually change the course of time. But that's an entire study in and of itself. Three and a half years, and hunger stalked the land, yet Elijah was not sent to them. Oh, no, indeed. They did not have Elihu. They did not have Elijah. Why? Because Yahweh God was cursing them. Cursing the inhabitants of the land for their disobedience, for turning away from the law of God. This is the reason why many of the minor prophets towards the latter end of the New Testament all center around this. Ezra and Nehemiah putting away strange women, putting away strange gods, and putting away our mams or children that are born from them. Now, Billy Graham once upon a time preached this, believe it or not. But how many of them out there, even in coming to truth, would be willing to do that in today's apostasy, dear friend? Not a single one. In fact, what most sinners will do is go out, church shop, church hop, and find a preacher that will tickle his ears and tell him what he wants to hear. Oh, indeed. The reason America and parts of Europe are being cursed today by Yahweh God is because we have turned our ear from hearing the simplicity in Christ. If you're going to come along and allow a man to tell you that the Jew, Christ, killer, according to the law of God and the word of God that we study from beginning to end, are somehow God's chosen, then you do reap what you sow, dear kinsfolk. We must be like the faithful Bereans. We must study to show ourselves approved. According to Paul, according to Peter, and even according to Jesus Christ, who gave it validity, only the word of God is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof. Not slander. Not what we think. And as I preached out in numerous sermons, I don't know how many times, mankind has the unfortunate characteristic of coming along and thinking his opinion equals fact. The natural man more so than even the spiritual man. But even the spiritual man does this, which is why there are so many admonitions and prohibitions against judging our brother, judging our neighbor in the Old Testament and New Testament alike. In doing so, we can heap upon ourselves wrongful damnation because we would rather engage in slander and gossip. But continuing on about Elijah, yeah, Yahweh God was cursing them. Verse 27 of Luke chapter 4. Or think that the prophet Elijah, who healed Naaman, a Syrian, rather than the many Judean lepers needing help. These remarks stung them to fury. Who? The Pharisees. Those standing round about, and perhaps even many Israelites who didn't want to hear it. Many of them don't. Why? They don't want to hear truth, because with much wisdom comes much accountability. This was the beauty of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ both. They could take him back to the scripture say, it's written. Who warned you, you brood of vipers, you race of vipers, as it was told by John the Baptist and later confirmed by Jesus Christ in John chapter 8. They always took it back and stayed within the confines of Scripture. Why? Because our enemy won't. Our enemy is a Scripture twister and was all the way back in the very first narrative, Genesis chapter 3 and so on, when he enters the scene. But that, of course, is an entirely different study. And once again, if you require further study on Satan, I've preached on it. 
over the last eight years numerous times. And perhaps one of my best series was 2007 when I did the Morning Stars. It was eight different parts, and I proved from not only non-canonized text, but from the King James Version as well, that angels are absolutely literal. The way of the no-devil is to come along the single seed liner and say, well, angel just means messenger. Indeed it does, specifically angels. Archangelos, a perfect example of that. A difference between the angelic hierarchy, just as there's a difference in the demonic hierarchy as well of demons. But these remarks stung them to fury. Notice that. Those standing around about, those in the synagogue, just like today, professing to be Christians, would be upset when they hear the word of God. And my, how things do not change. Because that's exactly how it is today, dear kinfolk. If you were to walk into a modern 501c3 Judeo-Christian tax-exempt church out there that litter our land, and ask the pastor, hey, where in the Bible does it say the Jews are God's chosen? Well, they'd most likely get offended before they're able to answer that. And if they can answer it, well, do you think any of them are going to revert their theology? you think any of them are going to adapt? Well, you might find one or two. But for the most part, many of them will not. Many will justify themselves. This is the way of man. They'll write themselves within the Scripture instead of writing the Scripture to fit their life, or at least adapt their life according to the will and the intent of God. Where is his will? last will and testament that's the morality that is transcribed within his law that's the first five books these remarks that jesus christ said stung them to fury continuing on verse 29 and jumping up they mobbed him and took him to the edge of a hill on which the city was built to push him over the cliff but he walked away through the crowd and left them now that's the way of jesus christ spiritual and physical he was perfection he was the christian's example we must do as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did not walk around with half a beard. Jesus Christ did not live in squalor. Jesus Christ taught absolute dependence on the word of God and Yahweh God alone. And to not attack our fellow kinsfolk. No greater love hath any man, he said, than to lay down his life for his neighbor, meaning race. So those who come along and say, well, I don't accept so-and-so because uh, I don't deem him as white enough. Or those who come along and say, you know what, I want to engage in a little slander and call pastor so-and-so uh, something he's not, call him a Jew. Well, you know, they better get themselves right with Yahweh God because that's not the spirit that was imparted unto Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was a perfect example. And Jesus Christ, even though he could pick up a cat of nine's tails and drive the Jewish money changers out of the same temple the devil tempted him upon, also was driven by love. Not hate, not rebuke. It is the will of Yahweh God that every man, Adam man, would come to repentance. And thus it must also be our desire as well. We realize that not all of them will. In fact, a wise man would realize that one out of a thousand, two out of ten thousand, which is what the scripture says, because those are truly the statistics. But when you find that one lost sheep, that's the one that makes it all important, and that's exactly what Jesus Christ thought. So as they were getting ready to mob him, getting ready to kill him, because he threatened what their traditions were. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship or receive monthly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visitor's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.com where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts. You can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church so that when He returns, He will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply His words to your lives. It's been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. He was able to slip away. He was able to take off, and that was that, because that was the way of Jesus Christ. Did he become invisible? Did he teleport like Jason Voorhees? The world may never know, but the point is, is he did it, and it's transcribed, so you realize Yahweh God had more power and was wiser than man.
he walked away through the crowd and left them. Probably because the own crowd in their own mass hysteria like they always do in a barroom blitz took their eyes off what they were doing and the hobbit was able to walk away, quote unquote, in a proverbial sense. Continuing on, they were going to throw him over a cliff. Verse 31. Then he, who, Jesus Christ, returned to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and preached there in the synagogue every Saturday. Why Saturday? Well, dear kinsfolk, that's the seventh day. That's also one of the Ten Commandments. Remember the seventh day and keep it holy. It's not hard when you realize Sunday's the first day of the week to count seven days and know what day the Sabbath is. But that's a side point. Verse 32 in Luke chapter 4. Here too the people were amazed at the things he said. For he who, Jesus Christ, Yahshua Messiah, spoke as one who knew the truth, instead of merely quoting the opinions of others, as his authority. Now, stopping right there, dear kinfolk, understand it. This is the way of the slander, and this is the way of churchianity, because this is what it is. It's a Timex social club, if you will, because that's what they're there for. They're there for the fried chicken. They want to talk about Aunt Betty's nice blue dress, but a majority of those who go to your average corner Protestant and Baptist and Catholic church are there for the gossip. That's why they do gossip. So, they were amazed. Why? Well, the King James says he preached as one who had authority. Point in case. That's all it really takes. If you were able to walk up to that earlier aforementioned Judeo-Christian pastor, asking him, hey, where does it say in the Word of God the Jews are God's chosen people? He may get offended. He may get upset. But for the most part, those who truly are Bible-believing Christians, or at least say they believe in the Word of God, they'll be amazed. Why? Because all you've got to do is preach it as one who has authority. Most of them out there aren't. They're in feminized homosexual types. That's what litter the land out there in the Judeo-Christian 501c3 tax-exempt pulpits, the Baal priests. And so you better get that through your head. Because out there, that's exactly what they're paid to do. Why? Because they want in the mind of the average Quan to think when they think Christian man, well, he must be like this homosexual out here, this infeminized man. But this was not always the case, dear friends. And historically, many of the Christian pastors were there on the forefront of the battle lines, praising and boosting the morale of the troops, the Christian soldiers who went to war. So, he spoke as one who knew the truth, instead of merely quoting the opinions of others as his authority. To that same man, you say, hey, where does it say Jesus Christ is a Jew? They can't find it. And even if they can find it, what they find is an obscure verse where Pilate wrote... Above the head of the cross, here lies Jesus Christ, King of the Jews, which is also an acrostic, but that's a study for another day. But what should be mentioned of that gospel narrative is this, that as soon as Jesus Christ ascended into the heaven to sit at the right hand of Yahweh God, the Jews came along and attempted to create conspiracy. And they told Pilate, hey, don't write King of the Jews, but write, he said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. My point in case for all this, the only place where it says Jesus Christ is the king of the Jews, for all intents and purposes, with the exception of a few mistransliterations, is Pilate's wrongful accusation. So it's quite ironic that the Judeo-Christian will come along and side with Pilate. Was Jesus Christ an innocent man, or was he truly guilty of being king of the Jews? Think about the irony about that for a moment, but... If you want to be respected as a preacher, all you really need to do is preach as one who has authority. And that authority comes through recognition of the Word of God. As you grow within the grace, the knowledge that Yahweh God imparts you with, you're able to handle deeper meanings. How can I say that? Here a little, there a little. That's the way the Word of God is. No man can master this book. And any man who comes along and attempts to look at it from a literary standpoint, usually fails because they don't understand. It takes a lifetime to study, but an eternity to master. That is what the Word of God truly is. And while man comes along and says, this is an inconsistency, and this is an inconsistency in the Word of God, because they're usually oftentimes ignorant of the manuscripts, or they got one little, you know, straw man argument that they want to drive in the ground, like Easter really means Passover. Yeah, of course, we know that. And so forth. That's the way of it. They want to draw you aside on what really matters, but not so with Jesus Christ. He preached as he knew the truth. And why in the ears of the people did it sound like truth? Well, point in case, very simple. It was from the Word of God. And people who have been being fed, quote-unquote, the traditions of men as the opinions of others, quote-unquote, well, they were the people who had been misled. 
And so many of those actually, most likely, respected Jesus Christ. The truth shall set you free. But with that truth becomes accountability. The truth can truly hurt, and that's where the old proverb comes from. The truth can either hurt or set you free. It's up to you. <laughs> and that's the beauty of Yahweh God, but continuing on. Because we're talking about demons, and we're talking about the angelic hierarchy that does exist. And I've confirmed and proved and published in my book, Satanio. We're about to get to that. So he's preaching every Saturday. Here, too, they were also amazed. Verse 33. Once, as he, who? Jesus Christ. As Jesus Christ was teaching in the synagogue, a man possessed by a demon began shouting at Jesus. Go away! We want nothing to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth. You have come to destroy us. I know who you are, the Holy Son of God, quote-unquote. Now, this is a legion as well. Now, we all are familiar with the maniac of the Gadarenes. That was an account in at least two of the Gospel narratives where Jesus Christ comes across into the land of the Gadarenes and there he is met by a quote-unquote maniac. He is known historically as the maniac of Gadara. In this account, Jesus Christ comes to him, and the legion screams out, much similar to the account here, and says almost the same exact thing. He says this, go away, we want, we, we, plural, not singular, we, a legion of demons, many demons, many unclean spirits were into this man, and this man spoke out saying this. We want nothing to do with you, Jesus from Nazareth. Not Jesus the Jew. Not Jesus from Bethlehem. Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus of Nazareth. The demon was able to recognize who Jesus Christ truly was when many of his own disciples could not. When many of us today in this latter era still cannot. But that's a side note as well. He says this. You have come to destroy us. I know who you are. The Holy Son of God. Singular the only begotten Son of God. So while Adam was a son of God, while Lucifer is a son of God, while each and every one of us who are descended from our original great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, are sons of God, there truly is one only begotten Son of God. Begotten, meaning created, formed in the flesh. This is the reason why the Holy Spirit could descend and ascend upon Mary, and she became impregnated with Jesus Christ. For lack of a better term, it was the literal sperm of God who made him. So not only was he perfect in the flesh, but he's perfect in the spirit. Covering not only two different tribes, that is Levitical priesthood through his mother Mary, but through his stepfather, the tribe of Judah. So, this is where that term Jew comes from. Jew is slang for Judean. And we all know that Joseph was from the tribe of Judah. And so it stands to reason that all those round about the land of Galilee at that time would be considered quote-unquote Jews. Of course, not in that term in this translation. So we must not make that mistake either. There was no J. We already know that. Continuing on, how does Jesus Christ deal with this demon? How do you and I deal with spiritual and or demonic attacks? I keep reading. Jesus cut him short. Be silent, he told the demon. Come out. The demon threw the man on the floor as the crowd watched, and he left him without hurting him further. Point case, rebuked him sharply, just like he told Peter, just like he did throughout his entire walk. Come out from him. Jesus Christ taught that we would have greater powers than he did. We would do even greater miracles than he did when he walked the face of this earth. Do you believe it? Because it's true. If we have the faith of the size of a mustard seed, we can move a mountain. But many of us do not, because we don't understand what faith is. Faith is trust. If we cannot trust in Yahweh God to the point of obedience, Yahweh God never reveals the deeper things of his word. So that's what Jesus does. Cuts him short. Don't argue a fool. Don't listen to a demon-possessed man who wants to justify lawlessness. Just rebuke him sharply. Be silent, he told the demon. Come out. And that was that. Now, of course, there's power in the name, and a lot of this is stripped down in the narrative. But be that as it may, that's how we should deal with the ignoramus. That's how I would deal with Alex Linder when he comes spouting anti-Christian nonsense. Be silent. It's going to waste my time listening to a bunch of baloney coming out of some dude who's cursed, thinking the world, or at least the Christian world, doesn't see him knowing he's cursed. Well, perhaps he's cursed because he's turned his back on Yahweh God. It's not our heart to give. It's not our place to come along and say, I opened my heart to Jesus Christ. Better it's to live our life the way we're supposed to, the way Yahweh God charges it, in the hopes 
that we can be found acceptable by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ isn't a lucky rabbit's foot that we can bend to our will when times get hard, as I mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast. He's not for you to turn on only when you go to jail, only in times of atrocities or war. How about praying to him when times are good? How about praying to Yahweh God through Jesus Christ for all the blessings you truly have? Virtuous wife, children from the Lord, bountiful crops, a nice bottle of wine. Whatever it is, take it to Yahweh God. But after he does this, what happens next? Verse 36 in Luke chapter 4. Amazed, the people asked, What is in this man's words that even the demons obey him? Question. The story of what he had done spread like wildfire throughout the whole region. And of course, this was the purpose of the maniac of Gadara and the reason why Jesus Christ spent so much time doing it. In the Maniac of Gadara account, once Jesus Christ cast those demons into the swine, the herd ran violently down the side of the cliff and choked and drowned in the ocean, as it should be. That's what I say, dear kinsfolk, but not the people round about the land of the Gadarenes. They came out and said, Jesus Christ, we want you to leave our coast. We didn't care that this quote-unquote maniac was cutting himself with flintstones all these years. We didn't care that he walked around chained in bounds and fetters. Oh, no. They cared more about their pigs than they did human beings. And that, dear kinsfolk, is also the story of our race in a nutshell. But not to digress. Jesus Christ did that, and he had the power to cast demons out. So do you. But you don't have that power if you don't believe in demons. If you allow the single seed lighter to come along and say, well, that's just mental illness. That's just whatever their little fancy mind makes up. No, it's demons. That's what all the narratives say. I've got four translations sitting here. And all of them say demons, and all of them personify it. The men and women round about said what is this man's word? What type of power is this? So what did Jesus Christ know that the rest of them didn't? What have we been covering for the last hour or so? What we pointed out is that Jesus Christ, like John the Baptist, would always take it back to the word of God. He would tell the Pharisees, for example, you do sit in Moses' seat, but do not the things that Moses commands. Of course they did. The Pharisees sat there saying, thou shalt not kill, why they conspired to kill him. Quite ironic, is it not? The hypocrisy of the serpent people, but nonetheless, that's what he said. And here it is, they're amazed at the power. Where was the power? The power is within the Word, and that's the whole point. This is the reason why, rather, in the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ is considered that living Word. This is the reason why the saints personified who returned with him at that second advent, at that point, at the second advent, when all the trumpets and everything aligns. That, dear friends, is when the saints return. And as I pointed out, the saints don't return dipped in the blood of his testimony and so forth because they sat there saying, you know what, I don't like the words Paul. Let's throw them out. They weren't slain because they came along and said, you know what, I uh, came along and made my own little twisted racist version of the Bible because I have a agenda. Oh, no, indeed. They were slain for the testimony of the Word of God, what's written and what's been written here for 420 years. 520 years, and longer than that if we follow the manuscripts and the paper trail. But that's the whole point. The Word of God is most important. That's why they're interlocked in a form of a perfect trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Word, the Holy Ghost, if you will. Faith comes by hearing. The only way we can please Yahweh God, the only way we can know Yahweh God, according to Scripture, is in the Spirit. Because He is Spirit. And as I pointed out, he's supernatural. That's why everything that descends of Yahweh God, everything according to his will, whether it deals with adultery, marriage, homosexuality, or child-rearing, centers around that which is natural. A human man with a conscience, with the law written on his heart, is able to know that stealing's wrong, slandering's wrong, bearing false witness, cursing our parents, and so forth. <laughs> so for the atheists like Alex Linder to come along and say, you know what, I don't need the Bible to dictate morality, you silly fool. You don't seem to understand that morality was already dictated by the Bible for the godless pagan to be able to come along and say that. But that's the way of it, and that's the whole point. That's why wise King David in Psalms and in Proverbs, partially through Solomon, said, a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The truly foolish man believes he's smarter than all of history, believes he's smarter than what's transcribed, even on a superficial level, believes he's smarter than a book that's 600 years to his 60, if he's lucky, 
That, dear friends, is a fool. And as I pointed out time and time again, the fool believes everything he says is true. This is the reason why everyone who walks around as a know-it-all is actually the biggest fool. Except that know-it-all can't see it. Only those meek enough to be able to understand, read, be reached by Yahweh God, meaning used, is usable, moldable, and will find themselves within the kingdom. This is the reason why Jesus Christ on the Sermon on the Mount and numerous other places could say, Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship or receive monthly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.com where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts. You can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church so that when He returns, He will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply His words to your lives. It's been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. They inherit the earth, of course, because the kingdom age is established here. There is no rapture. That's a study for another day. But to break it down, the meek inherit it. What does meek mean? Look it up in the Strong's. It means teachable. It means with the ability to be taught. It means you're not the fool out there going on and on saying, you know what, I'm not going to listen to this pastor. I'm not going to learn from this person. You can learn from the devil. You can learn from the devil's movies. You can learn from the devil's books and from what they publish. It's all about discernment. Are you wise as serpents? Do you put on the gospel panoply? Do you pray for the quote-unquote gospel armor every morning so you can withstand the fiery darts of the wicked? Well, he sends them in the form of demonic spirits. This, of course, is confirmed in the book of Enoch, and I preached it in the past. According to those who fell on Mount Hermon, according to those who took from the daughters of Adam, according to our Genesis chapter 6 accounts, according to Enoch, they were reserved. They are the wandering stars mentioned by Peter in his second epistle, where he talked about wandering stars for whom it is reserved the darkness and the blackness forever. Those dear kinsfolk are the spiritual entities, if you will, of the fallen angels. What are they reserved for? A latter era and a latter judgment. But... What isn't written in our Bibles and is confirmed in the book of Enoch, which once upon a time was canon and confirmed by Jesus Christ, is that the offspring of those unholy unions became demons. And those demons are free in the spiritual realm to wander the earth and plague man. Those demons, when Christ would cast those demons into the pig and the pig would run down the hill, the Gadareans would come out and say, depart from our coast. They do the same exact thing here. In Luke chapter 4, he says, go away. We don't want anything to do with you. Jesus Christ says, be silent. Come out from him and amaze the people. Say, what is this man's words? Well, the man's words were the Bible, the words incarnate. And how did the demons obey him? Why? Because he's God. He created the demons, point in case. The story of what he did spread by wildfire throughout that whole region. So, my point with the maniac of the Gadarenes was that. Once the legion was cast out, once Jesus Christ departed the land of the Gadarenes, well, that former maniac who was put right back in his right mind went throughout the coast and published the great and glorious things that Yahshua Messiah had done for him, giving him eyes to see, ears to hear, making him right in the head. But for all intents and purposes, the world didn't care. The world left him out bound with chains and fetters and couldn't give two flips for him. Burned all intents and purposes. The fix of the world would be to put him in a state hospital, put him in a jail cell. Let's forget about him. But, dear kinsfolk, the word of God is not pro-prison. The word of God is swift judgment with two witnesses. But, not to digress. The people came out. They were amazed. And because he did this, his fame grew. Jesus Christ didn't have to self-aggrandize. He didn't have to troll people's chat rooms on TalkShoe.com with links to his forum. Oh, no, indeed. All he had to do was tell the truth in season and out of season. And guess what? Those who love truth and recognize truth followed him. 
a.k.a. the sheep. They hear his voice, they follow, as we confirmed. But John also confirms that whosoever loves and makes a lie, like Jesus confirms in John chapter 8, verse 44, whosoever loveth and maketh a lie, they're outside the gate in the book of Revelation. Because, you know, you don't have to only come along and write fiction. You have to love fiction. This isn't saying that watching a movie or reading a book is inherently bad. This is coming along saying slander and libel and going against somebody saying, hey, so-and-so is this when they are not, is absolutely forbidden. And it should be common sense. Jesus' fame grew because he told the truth. He did miracles. He was able to cast out demons, something our men should be doing today. Dear kinsfolk, it's quite ironic that lesbianism doesn't exist in the continent of Africa because in Africa, the nigger will rape any woman who claims to be lesbian because they feel that's their cure. Now, while that sounds heathenistic, and it truly is, that's the boon in action, it should be pointed out that they're not flaunting it like American women walking around saying, I be lesbian. So Yahweh God was right all along. Purge them from among your community. And if you can't purge them, well, at least don't sit there and say it's okay. It's an alternative and acceptable lifestyle. Why? Because when you do that as a nation, before you know it, fags are getting married in Pennsylvania. They're getting married in Southern California. All of a sudden, the whole concept of marriage is a confusing aspect to a teenager because they don't know, hey, am I going to marry a girl? Am I going to marry a boy? Because the option has been made manifest. The way of the devil is to come along and say, I'm giving the people what they want. We see this in the media. As the media perverts society through the power of the media and the commercialism that they wield, they happily come along and say, well, we're just giving the people what they want. No, they're not. They're perverting society from within and then turning around and blaming the people for wanting it. This symbology can be seen after the exodus in the form of the golden calf. This symbology can be seen by Lot's wife, who looked back to Sodom as it was being destroyed, because she also couldn't obey the word of God. Don't look back. How hard is that? Many of us will look back at what manner of man we were, at what manner of job we once held, at what manner of whatever we once were in life. But that's not what Yahweh God wants. Those who deal in slander deal in 2005. Those who deal in truth are going to deal with the here and now. Jesus Christ straight boldly said, Let your yea be yea, let your nay be nay. Speak when you have something to say. But when you're speaking just roundless, roundless, pointless crap, it's going to go nowhere. And it most definitely has no semblance on building up treasure on heaven. So, continuing on, verse 38. After leaving the synagogue that day, he, who, Jesus Christ, went to Simon's house where he found Simon, that Simon Peter, his mother-in-law, very sick with a high fever. So, it is quite ironic that I can point out right here, this Simon is Simon Peter. The supposed apostle to whom the Catholics come along and say was given the keys of the church and was the very first pope. Well, if that be the case, then why is it that no popes get married? Huh. Quite interesting, because Peter was married, and Peter had a mother-in-law. And even though Peter would deny Jesus Christ several times, he would forsake all he had to follow Jesus Christ, which made him a worthy disciple in the end, if you will, because Jesus Christ straightforwardly taught, no man is worthy to be my disciple unless he pick up his cross and follow me. A cross is something to die upon. A cross is an implement of torture, dear kinsfolk. Are you willing to make that sacrifice, or you want to play church? majority of people out there play church. They don't realize that in order to be found acceptable of Yahweh God, you must be like those saints who return with Jesus Christ at the second advent. They were slain for the testimony of the word of God. It's not to say that you must die for this word if you can avoid it, but you must be willing to follow it to the point of death, to the end of your days, until the last breath you breathe. So, 38, after leaving, he goes to Simon's mother-in-law, sick with a high fever. And here it is, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, sick with a high fever. Now, we should notice that in all the accounts and all the translations, there is a differentiation between demon possession and sickness. And here it is in the same chapter for your edification. Now, we already covered the demon possession, and we already covered Jesus Christ said, get out, get out from him and cast the demon out. Point in case. Now here's Simon Peter's mother-in-law, and she's sick with a high fever. This is not a demon, dear kinsfolk. This is an actual sickness. But Jesus already proclaimed in the earlier part of this chapter that he came to set the captives free, that he came to heal, and that is what Jesus Christ would do. That is also what we might do one to another, dear kinsfolk, speaking healing words one to another and edifying each other. 
What does she say? Please heal her, everyone begged. This is what they ask of Jesus Christ. Heal her. And this is the natural way of man, because man always wants to be healed when they're sick. Man always wants to pray to Jesus Christ when they're at the point of death. But when they're living nice and fat on the land, and when they've got high-definition television, and they got Monday night football and lots of popcorn, well, they don't have much time for Yahweh God. And there's nothing new under the sun, dear Ken's folks. This is how it was for the Old Testament and the children of Israel of old. For example, the Exodus. Moses came. He was a deliverer. He came to deliver them from the bounds of a Negro ruler, or even back then, for lack of a better term. And guess what? Children of Israel said, we'd rather go back. We'd rather worship Anubis, the calf. We'd rather do that than serve Yahweh God. Why? Because we don't want to be accountable. We want anything goes. We want to make a God according to our own image. And that is the way of man. Because you have two options in life, according to Jesus Christ. God or mammon. Meaning, you will either serve God, the God of this Bible, how he truly is, or you will invent a God of your own choosing. And that God will become an idol. And you'll pray to that God, and even though that God doesn't exist because he's not Yahweh God of the Old Testament, you'll think he will. And your whole life will be a riddle. Why? Because you erred in not knowing the scripture. So, always pray to Yahweh God that he will keep you on the right path. They wanted healing for Peter, Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Verse 39, standing at her bedside, he who Jesus spoke to the fever, rebuking it, and immediately her temperature returned to normal. She got up and prepared a meal for him, just like she always was, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, a gracious woman. But after Jesus Christ rebuked the fever, after a quote-unquote laying on of hands, and this is an aspect of Christianity that is oftentimes neglected, because it was all throughout the book of Acts, was it not? Indeed it was. Anytime they would have a problem, they would come on and there would be a laying on of hands. And they would cast demons out. And they could make a person whole. And do not neglect to do that, at least in your own personal walk. He rebuked the fever, cast the sickness from her body. This sickness did not speak, but it was cast out much in the same manner. Verse 40. As the sun went down that evening, all the villagers who had any sick people in their homes, no matter what their diseases were, brought them to Jesus. And the touch of his hands healed everyone. Some were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command, shouting, You are the Son of God! But because they knew he was the Christ, he stopped them and told them to be silent. Now take note. I'm talking about meekness, and we've been pointing this out. Many of the demons that Jesus Christ did cast out, when they were cast out, just like the legion, knew who he was. Of course they would know. It's a spiritual warfare. And when they see the Son of God, the literal flesh of God incarnate, if you will. They would come and say, well, we know who you are. You're Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Most High God. But Jesus Christ suffered them not to. Jesus Christ would say, hold your tongue, keep your peace, do not let it be spread abroad. Why would he say that? Well, because it's up to the person. What do you think he was? Jesus Christ asked his disciples one time, who do men say I am? And many of them had a dirge barrage of answers. Some would say, well, you're a great man. And that's what the Jews teach today. Well, He's a great man, but he wasn't the Messiah. Some would come along and say, well, you're just a son of Joseph, because they were flesh men. That's all they could see. Well, he is his stepfather's child. That's common reasoning. But then Peter, that quote-unquote first pope, was the one who said, you're the Messiah, the Son of the Most High God. You are God, manifest in the flesh, for lack of a better term. Just like Thomas, who realized it much too late in life, unfortunately. But, not to digress, he said, upon you, Peter, Petros, I will establish my church. So the entire teaching of the true church with him as the head will be established upon that premise. What premise? The premise that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Cannot come along and worship a one God is all God or a one size fits all religion. But many people attempt to do that. And you'll hear that baloney taught. They'll say Buddha, Mecca, Allah, all of these gods, including Jesus Christ. Well... They're just the same God. They're just different perceptions. B.S., dear kinsfolk, do not fall into that mistake. Yahweh God is the God of the Israel people. Jesus Christ is the Messiah of those same Israelite people. And for lack of a better term, Yahweh God, nor Jesus Christ, spend very much time addressing all these other nations who have their other gods. But say that in this day and age, you'll be branded a heretic. You'll be called a cult leader and so much worse. But be that as it may, I'd rather tell the truth. I'd rather be hated for telling the truth than loved for telling a lie. And that's the difference between the false prophet and the genuine. 
The false prophet wants to come along and make what is so simple complex. And indeed, that's what he does. He'll draw you a sight on whether the devil's literal or not. Yeah, it's a speaking Satan personified. There's no debate, dear kinsfolk. But if you want to think there is, suddenly you'll be drawn aside on all these other conspiracy theories that have nothing to do with it. So, Simon Peter's mother-in-law got up, prepared a meal for them. As the sun went down, the people were bringing all their sick. And he would not let any of the demons let the people round about know. He told them, quote-unquote, to be silent. Verse 42 of Luke chapter 4. Early the next morning he went out into the desert. The crowd searched everywhere for him. And when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave them, but to stay at Capernaum. But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other places too, for that is why I was sent. So he continued to travel around preaching in synagogues, quote-unquote churches, throughout the land of Judea. Now, this, of course, as we've covered, is where the terminology, the Jews, comes from. Those round about the land of Judea, unfortunately, became known as Jews, for lack of a better term. But that's an entirely different study, and if you desire further study on that, and some of the deeper truths of Jesus Christ being a Jew or not. Eli James, believe it or not, is actually producing a series of articles and a book on that subject currently as we speak, Jesus Christ not being a Jew, which is a much more updated version of what we in CI have been preaching all along, and that is the fact that Jesus Christ is not your contemporary Hasidic Jew as we know them today. Why? Because they deny Christ. Jesus Christ said, God's chosen people or whoever who hear his voice, they follow. Whoever does the will of his Father in heaven, that according to Jesus Christ, are God's chosen people. And so, dear kinsfolk, with that being established, I hate to cut it short. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given, that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.com, and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible Studies and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. Thanks again, and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.